morning. It's great to be with you. My name is Wade. I am the college pastor, a part 24-7. It's a real joy to be with you and opening our Bibles to Ruth 4 and continuing our series in Ruth. This is the last uh, sermon in this series. So we're finishing up the story of Ruth. Ruth is a very short story, very small story that actually tells the big story of God's love and his work in this world. And so it's a beautiful story of of love. Uh, it's a story of tragedy. Uh, it's also fundamentally a story of redemption, and that's what we're looking at this morning. The resolution of, of all the things that have been going on in chapters 1 to 3, they all come to a head here, a climax here, and, and they find their, their resolution. Here's what we're asking this morning as we look at Ruth 4. What is God doing to put right all the wrongs in our lives and in this world. What is God doing to put right all the wrongs in our lives and in this world? That's the question. If you want to write that at the top of your paper, if you want to take notes, that's the big question we're seeking to answer. And Ruth 4 helps us discover that answer. Ruth 4 answers that question for us. And so uh, it's a longer passage, so we're not, don't have time to read the whole thing now. We'll go through it throughout the sermon. Uh, And so since we're not going to read the passage, but I would love to pray. So if you could pray with me, I'm going to pray aloud. And you are invited to pray with me. Father, we turn to your word. Your word is good and your word is true. And so we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us worship Jesus through the story of Ruth. Or we ask that you would be merciful to us that we might hear all that you would speak, love all that you love, obey all that you command, trust all that you promise for the sake of Christ your son. Amen. The recent suicides of two major celebrities has caused both concern and sadness in our culture. So what happens when we face death like this and maybe especially the shock of death through suicide like these, we are confronted with one of the fundamental realities of life in this world. That reality is that something has gone wrong. Something has gone wrong with this world. Something's not quite right. Songwriter Andrew Peterson describes it this way in one of his songs. Can't you feel it in your bones? Something isn't right here. Something you've always known, but you don't know why. Because every time the sun goes down, we face another night here, waiting for the world to spin around just to survive. Survive. That is what many of us feel like we're doing this morning, just trying to survive. And this survival in a world that's uh, not right, that we feel in our bones something has gone wrong, Something is broken, trying to survive, is actually what these uh, two widows are doing in the story of Ruth. We meet these two widows at the very beginning of the story, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is a widow who suffers. She suffers the death of her husband, the death of her two boys. Naomi is a woman who feels the brokenness of the world by being an outsider. She is a Moabite, one of the enemies of God's people. She didn't think like God's people, 
vote like God's people, we might say, look like God's people, speak like God's people. She worshiped differently, a different God than God's people. She was an outsider. Here we find these two women faced with life in a world full of tragedy, brokenness, division, and despair. A world exactly like ours. This tells a true story of real people in the same world you and I live in. Sure, we have iPhones now that they didn't have, but it's the same world. We all face fundamentally the same realities. And so, it causes us to ask the question, what is God doing to put right all that has gone wrong in our lives and in this world? That's the question the story of Ruth presents to us. And Ruth 4 answers that. Now, specifically, as we enter chapter 4, the first question we ask is this. What is the question of Ruth? The question of the outsider. Ruth knows the insecurity of being an outsider without a family. And so the beginning of this book, we ask, here in chapter 4, what is the Lord going to do to put right what's gone wrong in her life? Ruth, again, from Moab. Moab. She has now journeyed down into God's land, God's territory in Israel. She doesn't have a husband. She has no family to welcome her, no home to shelter her, no husband to embrace her. She represents those of us who are outsiders. She represents those here in Iowa City who are outsiders. How does the Lord view these people? How does the Lord interact with these people? What's the Lord's good news to the outsider? Well, look down at verse 1. It's a man named Boaz. Boaz, we learned in chapter 3, is this kinsman redeemer, this person who's a close relative of Naomi who has the possibility of bringing provision and protection to their family. And Ruth, in chapter 3, if you remember the story, she takes this risk, this courageous risk, and asks, hey, uh, you are our family redeemer. Can you also marry me? And Boaz is like, yes, that'd be awesome. But here's the issue. There's another guy who actually is first in line. He has kind of first dibs on being this redeemer in your family. So, so we're wondering as we enter chapter four, okay, what's gonna happen? Who's this, this redeemer dude that Boaz is talking about? And, and then what's gonna happen with, with Ruth? Because Ruth, Ruth needs to be embraced as an outsider. What's gonna happen with her? How's the Lord gonna provide for her? Well, verse one, Boaz goes up to the gate immediately and sits down there. Because here at the gate, that's when decisions in the community were made, okay? Nowadays, we have like the law court to make decisions. Well, back in the day, you had a gate. And in the gate were these elders. As Boaz is sitting there, the redeemer, huh, of whom Boaz was speaking, he came by. So Boaz says, hey, turn aside, friend. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's this really uh, kind of this rhymey word, uh, peloni, peloni almani, which actually is basically just kind of gibberish of like Mr. So-and-so, you know, what we might say nowadays. So he says, hey, Mr. So-and-so, hey, you there, sit down. So this guy, he turns, his sound, turns aside and sits down. Then verse 2 says, Boaz then takes the 10 men, the elders of the city, and he sits them down. So the business meeting, in a sense, is adjourned, okay? And uh, here we go. It's starting out, okay? Boaz is on the move. He's eager to put right what has gone wrong in Ruth's life. And so he goes to the Redeemer, and he offers the deal. He, he says this, hey, Redeemer there. Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. Now what's going on here? This language is odd to us. 
We don't really talk about uh, redeeming things or people. Uh, you know, this is this very strange language. The elders of the people sitting in this gate, that's just odd. Well, the practice actually is this thing called a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. It's a concept in the Old Testament. And this family redeemer is the closest living male relative who had the duty to protect and provide for widows so that the family's name and land could survive. Because back in the day, if you had no name and you had no land, you had big trouble. Because your name and your land were everything. They were your reputation, they were your job, they were your provision for food. It's how you lived in that day and age. It would be the equivalent of having a bad reputation plus no network of friends to help you get a job plus no money in the bank account to provide for your family. If you have no, no land, no name, you're finished. And so this kinsman redeemer, the role was to buy the land from the poor relative and to provide a living for the family. So back to our story. Uh, Boaz has now laid it all out, this whole thing, and what does the guy say? He says, yeah, I'll redeem it. Oh, we weren't really expecting that. We're not expecting for this redeemer guy to actually say yes to redeeming it. But Boaz actually, Boaz kind of had forgotten to read the fine print, so to speak. Look at verse 5. Fine print says this, The day you buy the field, by the way, uh, from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, Ruth, the outsider, Ruth, that, the enemy of, of God's people from that clan, from that tribe that hates God's people. She's the widow of the dead, and you have to redeem her so that you can perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So Boaz ups the ante, so to speak. He says, not only purchase the land, redeem it, so that Naomi can be provided for, but redeem Ruth so that she can have a family and she can be provided for. And this is at this very point, look at verse 6, the guy says, I cannot redeem it for myself. Why? Lest I impair my own inheritance. Lest I damage, lest I destroy, lest I hinder my own inheritance. So he says, take my right of redemption for yourself. See, what happens is this. When it comes to embracing the outsider, when it comes to loving the outsider, it takes self-sacrifice. And if we are focused on self-interest, we really won't love the outsider. That's what this guy shows us. And he's actually a contrast to Boaz, because look at what happens in verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8, this is kind of this odd ceremony that happens. He takes off his sandal, and then he gives it to Boaz, which is a sign to say, hey, this right of redemption is no longer my responsibility. It's yours, so go ahead and have it. And then verse 9, Boaz says to the people, hey, you guys all, you were witnesses that I've done two things. I've purchased the land from Naomi, and I've also now married, going to marry Ruth take her as my wife. And then verses 11 and 12, the people in response to Boaz say, you know, basically they praise Boaz and they pray a blessing on the union between Boaz and Ruth and say, may the Lord bless you and make you be fruitful in your marriage. And then we come to the verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. So what are we seeing in this first scene? We're seeing the answer to the question, how is God redeeming the brokenness of Ruth's life? How is the Lord providing for the outsider? You see the answer? The answer is Boaz. The answer is an ordinary man who embodies the extraordinary love of God for the outsider. You see, if you, can, if you contrast the Redeemer guy, the Mr. So-and-so with Boaz, Redeemer guy, his provision, his responsibility had limits Once it got to the point of self-sacrifice, 
He says, I'm out. But Boaz goes beyond self-sacrifice. He goes to embrace the outsider. Why is that? It's because in the law of God, in the Old Testament, God's very clear that God's people have always been given his love, not for the sake of their own personal comfort and happiness, but for the sake of blessing those who are strangers and aliens and sojourners in the land. And Boaz understands this law and he embraces it and he embraces the Lord. And out of response to the Lord's love, he loves the outsider. Friends, we live in a culture of division and isolation. This world is broken. Our culture is broken. I city is broken by division and isolation. We live in an epidemic of loneliness. And so what are we called to do? We are called to be like Boaz, who what? Who embodies the love of the Lord for the outsiders who need a family. But here's the thing, right? This is why the gospel is such good news. In Ephesians 2.11, it says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you, okay, he's talking to these outsiders. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. He's talking to people outside the family of God. He says, you outsiders, you are far off. You've been brought near by what? By the blood of the cross of Jesus. So we who were once outsiders to God, who did not love him, who did not worship him, who were very different from him and turned away from him, what has God done? God has welcomed us. He has pursued us in the person of Jesus and brought us to himself. He has embraced us, the outsiders. For what reason? So that we can just have our personal happiness and comfort? No. So that we can embody that very same love towards those who are outsiders in our lives. I have the joy and privilege of serving our awesome college students. And uh, this summer we're doing this program called iCity. It's an eight-week kind of intensive program to, for, our, for nine of our students to learn to love what Jesus loves, to pursue him, to understand what it means to be a Christian. One of the main things we're trying to teach them about what it means to be a Christian is that your Christianity is not for yourself and your own comfort. Your Christian faith, knowing Jesus, is for the sake of blessing those around you. And so recently we had a barbecue And during the barbecue, we asked our students to invite their friends. In particular, invite those who do not know Jesus so they can be part of our community. One of our friends, one of our students invited five people, four of which are not Christians. You see, our students are learning in in their first way, in the first steps, because one of our students, he's become a Christian this past year. And so he's learning for the first time that, that... being a Christian follower of Jesus doesn't mean it's just for his own personal comfort, but it's for the sake of reaching out and blessing those in his life. Uh, Thomas Hoke is a new staff member here at Parkview. I love Thomas in so many ways. One of the things that's so amazing about Thomas is this. Thomas is an amazing cook. Did you know that? He's an amazing cook. But more than that, he's a very hospitable. And so recently, uh, Thomas and Katie his wife, they had some of their friends come over for a meal. Their friends do not know Jesus. And so through this meal, they're able to embody the love of God, welcoming outsiders into their home, providing a simple meal. And through this simple, ordinary act of love, they're demonstrating the love of Christ, which embraces those different from them. Friends, there are people who are different from you in your community. They think different than you. They have a different color of skin than you. They might vote differently than you. 
They might hang out at different places, have different hobbies, whatever it is. It's tempting to think of them as they are outsiders and therefore it's not my job to reach out to them. But what do we see in this first scene? We see Boaz embodying the love of the Lord and pursuing the, pursuing the outsider. So how does God put right what is wrong in Ruth's life? How does God provide for the outsider? Well, it's very simple. It's a people who love the Lord so much they're willing to love their neighbor as they love themselves. That's, that's one answer to what God is doing in this world. Friends, Parkview Church, do you know that one of the ways God is putting right what's wrong in this society is through this church. It's through you and me taking responsibility to looking at the people in our workplace, looking at the people in our family, looking at the people in our neighborhood and finding specific ways to reach out to them in the love of Jesus and welcoming them into the family of God. That's what the love of Christ compels us to do. But here's the second uh, second person we need to look at. Widow number two, right? Naomi, what about Naomi? We just talked about Ruth, but what about Naomi? Well, God, God is going to put something, put the, put, the right, put the wrong things right in Naomi's life as well. How? Well, look at verse 13 and 17. In verse 13, it says this, Boaz makes love to his wife and the Lord gives her conception and she bears a son. And the women, look at this, they say to Naomi, not to Ruth, which is odd, so not to the mother, but to the mother-in-law. Not sure when that, last time that happened, ladies, when you were giving birth to a child, people praise your mother-in-law. It's a little strange. That's what happens here. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, for he has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, which means servant. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What's God doing to put right all that's wrong in Naomi's life? In many ways, this kind of seems like a normal, ordinary scene. But if you remember chapter one, what happens in chapter one to Naomi? If you remember in chapter one, within the first five verses, Naomi has lost a husband, which is horrific. But on top of that, she has lost her two boys. The death of her whole family within the first five verses, to which she then responds and says this, the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Is that you this morning? Could you say along with Naomi, she says, actually, the Lord has testified against me. Does it feel like right now in your life, the way that God is dealing with you, it's as if he's a judge who is in court and in every word he's speaking is against you. And everything he's doing is for your harm and not for your good. The Almighty, says Naomi, has brought calamity upon me. Are you like Naomi suffering this morning? Is your suffering causing you to think the Lord is against me? The Lord hates me? Do you feel like you are empty because of the suffering that you've experienced. What's the good news for you? How does the Lord provide for you? Again, this, these, these verses 13 to 17 are a gift to you because here's what we see. Naomi loses her husband and two sons. She loses her family, but look, look at verse 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child 
That word child in the Hebrew is yeled. You see, in chapter 1, when she loses her boys, it says that she lost her yeled, which is an, a, a, a kind of term of endearment and love for young little boys. It's the way you would say, oh, he's my boy. And so actually what chapter 1 says is that she had such a, such a loving affection for them. Her, her, her adult sons, they were her boys, and they died. But how does the Lord provide for her? Well, look, verse 16, she took this child, this yelled, it's her boy, and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. His name is Obed, which means servant. You see, Naomi felt estranged from the Lord, felt distant from the Lord. The Lord was against her. But if you look at verse 14 and 15, the women are saying, Naomi, blessed be the Lord because he's not left you without a redeemer. See, this, this child would be your redeemer. He's going to grow up and he's going to be, verse 15, the redeemer of the restore of your life and the nourisher of your old age. He's going to be the one who's going to grow up and provide for you and care for you in your old age. See, the Lord never forsakes his people. And if you're here today and the suffering that you are experiencing is making you think, the Lord has forsaken me and forgotten me. He is against you. No, he is not. The Lord's good news for you today is this. He restores to you that which you lose by suffering. What do I mean? C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce says this. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can ever make up for this. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. The agony of Naomi's life, the death of her family, turned into a glory. See this little scene? It is a snapshot. It is a window through which we look into how God deals with suffering people. And the promise to those suffering today is that there is coming a, a day where in the new earth, when God restores all things and puts everything right, you will literally restore back to yourself all that you've lost in suffering. That is the good news of what Jesus promises to you. And though you might not see it now, by faith, by trust in the Lord, by looking at these stories, by living in a community, in your community group, as they remind you of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness to you amidst even your suffering, that you cling by faith, the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And he never forsakes his saints. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you remind yourself of these and you cling by faith to the Lord. And so we return to our big question. The first thing we see to the outsider, right? The Lord, he puts right the wrongs of the outsiders by uh, welcoming them to a family through our acts of love and our acts of hospitality. And then for those who are suffering, the Lord, he, he reverses. He turns agonies into glories. That's what the Lord does for his people. That's the good news of what he's doing in our lives and what he will do in the renewal of all things. But here's Here's the question again. What is God doing to put right all that's gone wrong in our lives in this world? How do we know for sure that this is true? Well, look down at verse 18. We need to read a genealogy. Mm. Now, I know for you, when you get to reading your Bible and you come to genealogies, you probably think two things. Boring, skip, right? You skip over. You say, you go to verse 18. You say, now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez, father, oh, nope, okay. And you just go to next. Let's go to 1 Samuel, right? That's what we usually do because for us, these names, they kind of mean nothing to us. They seem kind of pointless. That's why you read it. Well, actually, they might be boring to us and meaningless to us, but actually, to the first uh, 
people who heard this story, it's exciting. Genealogy is exciting. Why? Because genealogies tell a story. The names tell a story of what God is doing. And so what story does this genealogy tell? That's the question you need to ask every time you read through a list of names in the Bible. What's the story behind this? What are these people pointing to? If you look at the the names, it tells a story of Abraham's family that's leading to King David, right? Obed is born, and and then he fathers Jesse, and Jesse fathers David. But look at verse 18. Verse 18 tells of this person named Perez. Perez is the son of Judah. Judah, who's he the son of? Jacob. Jacob, who's he the son of? Isaac. Who's Isaac the son of? Abraham. Now, why is this important? This is important because of this. Okay, now listen closely. You see, the story of Ruth is a very short story, right? You could read it in about 15, 20 minutes. But it's a short story that's actually pointing to a bigger story. And so you kind of like, in a sense, the story of Ruth, it's like you're kind of living on the ground. But what the story of Ruth does, the very end here, is to kind of point your eyes upward and look what the Lord's doing at 30,000 feet. He right now is pouring down rain upon this place, okay? It's just crazy. But besides that, okay, the 30,000 foot view of the Bible is a story of a God who is out of love and generosity creates a good world, Okay? And in this good world, humans end up rebelling against him and choosing self, selfishness, instead of God. And because of human sin, there's a curse that happens in this world. The brokenness that happens here in this world is because humans have rebelled against their creator. They've, they've rejected God's good design and chosen for themselves what is good and right and true. And so the story starting in Genesis 3 all the way to chapter 11 is this spiral of human depravity and sin. Okay, now why do I tell you this? Because, remember, who's Perez? Perez is the son of Judah, Judah, Jacob, Jacob, Isaac. Isaac who? Abraham. Read chapter, 11, chapter 12 of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. It's, one of the most, it's probably one of the top three most important passages in the entire scripture. Why? I'm trying to compete against the rain here, okay? Uh, because in chapter 12 of Genesis, God speaks to a man named Abraham. He says, here's the deal, Abraham. This world is a mess because humans have rebelled against me. But here's my plan. Out of love, I'm going to bless your family, Abraham, and through your family is going to come blessing to the whole world. I'm going to put right this world, and I'm going to do that through your family, Abraham. And so what happens? Abraham has uh, Isaac, and Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Judah, Perez, and through Perez, Boaz, and then Boaz, Obed, Obed, Jesse, Jesse, David. And David is this king, right? who has come for uh, God's people to lead them a restoration to God's kingdom. Now here's the deal, right? David didn't do that perfectly. So what happens? God promises David. And what does he say to David? David, David, there's going to be coming this great redeemer king through you who will put right all that is wrong in this world. So we actually see here in this genealogy something very exciting. We actually see what God is doing in this world, in history, to put right what is wrong? And it is this. Through the offspring of Obed come to David, and through David there's this coming person who be this redeemer king who put right all that's wrong. Okay, you see, what, I, what I'm trying to say is this, friends. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth is this, okay? It's a small story of ordinary acts of love that points to a great act of love of God to renew this world. And it's this 
genealogy is pointing to this coming great redeemer king who would put right all that's wrong in the world. The book of Ruth is not about Boaz, fundamentally. It's not about Naomi. It's not about Ruth. It's about God and what he's doing through this ordinary family to bring about this promised restoration to put right what is wrong. See, the friends, the book of Ruth is about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the king who has come to be the friend of sinners. You see, Jesus, when he was here, people accused him of being the friend of sinners, meaning he spent his time with people who were different from him, who looked different than him, who believed differently from him, who didn't act like him. And he was the friend of sinners, meaning his heart was to bless and to love and to embrace the outsider. You see, the story of Ruth is a story of the people in our world who are outsiders. And Jesus Christ has come for them. He's come for you today. If you are outside the family of Jesus, if you have not personally put your faith in Jesus Christ to rescue you from your fundamental problem, which is not the pain that you experience, but is the sin that separates you from a good and loving God. Jesus Christ has come for you. He is a friend of sinners who has come to bring you back to himself, to put right what is wrong in your life. The story of Ruth also, as we've seen, is a good news for the people who are Naomi's. Naomi's are those who are suffering. You see, Jesus Christ did not come, this is a friend of sinners, but, the, but for him, he came to suffer with us, to have compassion on those of us who experience affliction. He, come to, he came to heal diseases. He came to put right what is wrong. Ultimately, this is what we see at the cross, Right? You see, the Bible, for those of you who might struggle with this whole question of why is a good guy allowed suffering, the Bible is not going to give you the most satisfying, perfect answer to solve all your philosophical problems, but it will give you the most important answer, which is your personal problem, of is there someone who's going to be with me in the midst of my suffering? And yes, there is. It's Jesus Christ. Because he suffered on the cross. And his resurrection is this. His resurrection is that one day he will come and restore everything that's lost. So here's the good news for those of you who are suffering, is that Jesus Christ, he'll restore to you what suffering has taken away. Every agony that you've experienced will turn into a glory. The agony of the cross turned into the glory of the resurrection. That is a foretaste, a snapshot of your life to come. So this is the good news that Jesus has for us through the story of Ruth. This is what God is doing to put right what is wrong in this world. It is Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, he's welcomed the outsider and he has come to give compassion and mercy and restoration to those who suffer. That is the good news of Jesus Christ that we see from the book of Ruth in chapter four. You pray pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the story of Ruth. Thank you so much for your provision of Jesus Christ, who is both the friend of sinners who's come to embrace the outsider. I pray for those of, of us here today who do not know you, Jesus, that this would be the day where we would come and turn from being outsiders. Lord, I pray that you would send us out as your church to be a blessing to the outsider. Lord, that you would redeem our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering. Lord, that you'd give them hope and that they could, by faith, know the promise that you've given them is that every agony they experience now will become one day a great glory. Thank you, Jesus, that through your death and resurrection this is true and real. We love you and praise you. Amen.